Hi, and welcome to the Irana Hills Church of Christ podcast. We hope this message from Pastor Clinton Montgomery brings you closer to knowing God, finding freedom in Him, and understanding what He has in store for you and your community. To learn more about Irana Hills Church of Christ, head to aranahills.church. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Just want to create some space for me. Otherwise, it looks like I'll be singing and you don't want that. Uh, before I start this morning, I want to quickly ask if you're sitting here this morning and you serve in any capacity, from kids to garden to sound to home group, if you're involved in church, could be board, elders, um, where, wherever you are, um, could you quickly stand just for a second? I just want to have a quick look. Now, those sitting, let's give these guys a great hand. Um, just remain standing for a second. Um, I think one of the key things that always strikes me is in Psalm 100, it speaks about the fact that people will volunteer themselves in the day of God's power. Um, and churches aren't built around just what happens on fr- at the front. It's actually built around the people serving consistently and at every level. And we just want to thank you guys for, for the big, the small, the things you do behind the scenes that we never know about. We just want to thank you guys for your contribution and really trusting that that God would honor your time, your energy, and just your contribution in the most beautiful way. So thank you so much just for investing and involving yourself in whatever happens here. Bless you guys. You're welcome to take a seat. Thanks. <clears throat> I uh, couldn't sleep last night. So about 1.30 I was up and watched a quick video, not that quick, of two guys having an interview, John Maxwell and Rob Hoskins, uh, two guys that some of us would know, some of us wouldn't know. But one of them actually made a comment that struck me, said the top Google search in 2020, just take a moment and think what that would have been. What do you think would have been the top Google search of 2020? Just for a moment, let it just run through your mind. So guess what it came up to? How do you change your world? The top search, according to two really clever doctors of all kinds of stuff, came up and realized that that was the number one thing. It doubled the search for how do we get back to normal. So double the amount of people search the question, how do we actually change the world that we're living in, compared to how do we get back to normal? And I'm not sure about you, but I think... um, (laughs) Uh, the season that we just went through sort of forced an appetite for change. That something has to shift. And a part of that in terms of what we're sensing moving into 2021 is the fact that we believe that God's going to talk to us in this year about new wine and new wineskins. Just coming to that place where we are willing to ask questions about the things that's conditioned us to the point where we can go deeper and wider in our relationship um, with God. I think that's critical just for us to understand because in, in that we sort of challenge not what happens outside of us, but we challenge what is constantly happening inside of us. See, I think uh, one of the things that we're all convinced of is that we are all extremely objective. That we think when we engage a topic, a subject, a conversation, that our point of view is very objective in the way that we sort of 
enter into the conversation. But, but there's a reality, and Stephen Covey sort of summarized a, an old Judaistic saying where he said, we see the world not as it is. We actually see the world as we are. That when we look at the world, we think we're looking at things objectively. But actually, what we're doing in our mirroring, we're, we're showing just to everyone outside just who we actually are. When we open our mouths to describe what we see, we, in effect, don't describe the situation. We describe ourselves. And I think sometimes in the little conversations, in those little moments where we are in, in these um, I want to call them opportunities to reflect on who we are. It's our prayer that you would enter into a space where you would realize that some of those conditioning, some of those limitations, some of those safe places that you've sort of created could be the number one thing that limits your capacity to experience God. Because your capacity and your limitation and your conditioning could have been so um, guarded by life and the things that you've been exposed to that it sort of creates a very small, safe box. And a big part of that is the reality that God (laughs) is not limited by the little boxes we live in. I think Proverbs 23 verse 7, Solomon says that he says, For as we think in our hearts, so are we. That there's something in the way we think about life that actually describes the reality of what and, and who we are. So this morning in, in Vision Sunday, we're going to do something a bit differently. We're not going to try and, and bless you and encourage and inspire you with all the big things that we want to do this year. I think there's something in terms of our understanding where we believe that God is calling us to a place to consolidate in the, in the heart of our vision, to actually dip deeper so that we can go wider. A big part of that is uh, mentioned in Proverbs 29, verse 18, where, where Solomon again comes and he says, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. I think we see the picture in the world that we're living in of a lot of people stumbling all over themselves. Where people don't have an idea of what God is actually busy with. That God doesn't see the season that we just went through and the season that we're entering into as as a big negative. God sees opportunities. He's actually um, willing and wanting us to walk into the space with a sense of what's next, God. What's available? He says, but when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Now just think about this for a moment. Have you asked yourself the question, what are you constantly looking at? Not when you're driving or um, when you're walking or even swimming in a pool, but, but have you asked yourself the question just in normal life, when you reflect on your own thoughts, your own conversations, that inner self-talk, what are you actually focusing on? See, so much of our self-talk and so much of what happens inside of us is conditioned by the rearview mirror. It's as if we're so drawn back to what was, the life we came out of, that we're scared to look forward to what's coming. And I think there's, there's a lot of value in, in self-reflection and, and looking back. But one thing we know is you can't move forward if you're constantly looking back. And I think that's critical in terms of the way God wants us to live. To have insight in terms of what was, but to make sure that our vision and our gauge is constantly um, looking forward. It's the reality of a new day. God's mercies are new every 
day. There's a reality that we have the opportunity each day to look forward to what God is doing. Um, and, and I think a lot of people sit in that place where we can't move forward because we're so stuck in what was. And maybe 2020 was a year where you felt that it sort of created a stuckness. It forced a, almost a slowing down. Maybe you came to the realization of the stagnation of what became real in your life. That, that you realized that in the midst of this um, global pandemic and everything that came out of it, you realized that you sort of just navigated the biggest season of life and you're still very much the same. Nothing changed. Nothing shifted. It's still very similar to what happened before. Solomon, uh, same verse, just a different translation, says, where there, where there is no vision, no revelation of God and His Word, the people are unrestrained. They live loose lives. They sort of fall into rhythm where, where we don't have anything actually guiding our experience of life, moving us forward. That if there isn't something of a godly revelation that shapes your expectation and your experience of what's coming, we become unrestrained and we become loose. We become undisciplined. And there's just nothing that guides and aligns us to the life that God has called us to. And I think so often the things that causes us to stumble all over ourselves are the very things that define the nature of our wineskin. So I want to ask you to think through um, this year and in the way that we'll communicate the word wine and wineskin will be very prevalent. Um, who loves a good glass of wine? I'm not sure if I should, but I enjoy a good glass of wine, but a good one. Um, and, and trusting that, that in our lives we'll create space for new wine because we're actually allowing God to move in some of those areas that we... Um, have allowed to define the nature of our experience of life and God and people all around us. Now, sort of bring this to a point, Ephesians 1 verse 17 and 18, Paul comes and he, he actually shows us what to do when we realize that our wineskins are sort of limited. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's my prayer for all of us moving into 2021. That we would each have that sense of, God, I know what you're up to. Give me that sense of your wisdom, your revelation. He says, so that you may know him better. That there's something about seeing God's picture of life that helps us to understand God better. And if you are at a place where you want to know him more, if you want to know God, I think one of the things critical is not to look back, but to ask him to show you just what is the nature of the revelation, the calling, the vision, whatever you want to frame it, the purpose for what, is bringing you in, for what He is bringing you into in the next year. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. You may know Him and know the extent to what He's called for your life. That all happens when we come to a place where we allow Him to open up the way we see life. I want to ask you if you have your Bibles with you to turn to Zechariah 3. We're going to just take a few minutes to sort of just walk through that. While you're going there, um, in 2007, something very interesting happened to um, a few supporters in South Africa. We were still um, living there. 
Uh, we had a competition called the Super 15. Um, it's rugby union, so no one here would know anything about it because we don't uh, <laughs> think about that at all. But um, it's basically the competition that all the best of South Africa, New Zealand, and Australia plays together. And up until that point, no one in South Africa had ever won the Super 15 competition. Um, it was an interesting year because in the finals, two South African teams played together. So big excitement. For the first time ever, our home city, Pretoria, the Blue Bulls were in the finals against the Sharks. And it was really interesting, right before the end of the match, the Blue Bulls were leading and the Sharks scored a try. And they, they snatched victory, or so we thought. And one of the young guys, uh, Francois Stein, decided not to give the ball to the normal fly-off. He just walked up, grabbed the ball and said, he's going to take the um, place kick. And he missed it. With something like a minute left, he missed it. Now, at that point, I had the biggest shark supporter that you would ever have in your life sitting next to me. We had a big thing at church, and he walked, and he took the, the shark's flag, and he hung it on the pulpit just to make it very visible that it's the end. And you wouldn't believe what happened straight after. Kick off a few knocks that the umpire didn't see, and the best try ever. And right after the whistle would have blown, the Bulls actually scored a try and kicked over, and they won the match. It was incredible. Firstly, for me, we were <laughs> jumping up and down like you would never believe it. I looked right next to me, and this guy almost died. Um, it, it was like death sort of just hung on him. And, and he hasn't forgiven Francois Stein ever um, for that experience. But he taught me a lesson. And, oh, maybe just before I give you the lesson, um, at about 12 p.m. or 12 a.m. this morning, the Sharks and the Bulls played in the Curry Cup final, 2021. And guess what happened? In the 19th minute of extra time, the Bulls snatched it again, and they beat them. <laughs> so it's such a good moment, and there's another Bulls supporter sitting there. Um, but, but there's something in the story that sometimes we live life as if it's too late, that there's no more time left. And I just felt, well, just thinking about this morning, just to say to some people sitting here today that there's still time left. There's still opportunity. While you're breathing, even though it feels hopeless and senseless and purposeless, and, and even though you're struggling with things that you've never thought you'll struggle with at this point in time, there's time left. There's something um, that could change as we open ourselves up to the reality of God. Now, Zechariah 3 um, Part of this is uh, just taking you through a story in the Bible that you, will help you just understand um, at a heart level what happens to us when we navigate our vision movements of know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and, and make a difference. It tells a story of, Zechar um, of a, a guy called Joshua who was a Levite and a descendant of Aaron in post-exile Jerusalem, around about, about the time where Nehemiah was rebuilding um, the wall. So there were three key guys in this space. There was Nehemiah, the priest. There was um, Zerubbabel, the governor. And there was Zechariah, the prophet. And they sort of um, spoke into this situation. Zechariah 3 verse 1 starts with this um, saying. It says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, I just want to say, when it says the angel of the Lord, it, um, there's a lot of commentaries that actually says standing before 
God himself, it stands before the angel of the Lord. So it could mean anything. Um, and sta- Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Very interesting reference. Imagine just for a moment the godliest person you know. Just want to say if you think it's you, um, you've got trouble. So just for a moment, just think about the godliest, the most, the holiest person that you know. And think about the story. Joshua, the high priest, was in Israel, the godliest nation. Joshua was the godliest person, the kind of guy that crossed every T and dotted every I and still finds himself in a place where Satan is accusing him. It's, it's interesting, the power of accusation, how it has the ability to disrupt any individual's sense of wellness and well-being. And sometimes it doesn't come from the outside. It actually comes from the inside. And there's this understanding that if Satan had the ability <laughs> to do a work on Joshua, he's got the ability to do a work on us. Not because he's just a liar. I think sometimes we live our lives in the way where we actually give the enemy a lot of things to work with. Don't you agree? We're not perfect people. And, and there's the sense that Satan is standing and accusing Joshua. Not always manufacturing lies, but just sort of coming at a place where he's constantly accusing, opposing, and attacking um, the priest, high priest of, of God. I think it's those little moments where <laughs> um, we need to understand that we need God's grace at the best of days. But when the power of accusation, when the enemy starts to disrupt this internal sense of well-being, when we allow the voice of accusation to sort of shape who we are on the inside, we are um, we're in dire need of grace. God's word to redeem. I remember a story in the army where um, at one point I forgot my, my hat. And I stood there and I realized that if I forget my hat, um, that corporal is going to drill me to the ground. So I thought he didn't see me. So I just slipped away, went, got my head, and I brought it back, and he did see me. And instead of him um, punishing me, he called me to him, and he said, stand next to me. And he said, I'm going to punish all your friends now because you left. And in that moment, he started chase, chasing my whole group, um, the whole group of people with me up and down and up and down. And he had me sort of shout out the commands to them. And after about 20 minutes, when they were sort of done, it was, in the, it was in the heat of the day, he said, now you join them. Now we're only starting. And as I joined and I started running, the first blow hit me on the back of my head. And when I turned around, a guy just flew right to And I looked back and I saw this big guy, a friend of mine, Els. Els was a monster of a human being. And he just looked at me and said, don't worry, I'll fight for you. And else just ran at the back of me and no one dared to hit me that day <laughs> and every other day after. Else was like my shadow. I sort of realized just the benefit of having someone that fights for you. Listen to what verse 2 says. The Lord said to Satan, it's not Joshua defending himself. This is not Joshua coming to his own aid. It says, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. That there's something about God stepping into this moment saying that I will deal with the power of accusation. And in this place where accusation becomes rife, I will step into the moment. 
And then he makes a very interesting comment. He said, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? God actually looks at Satan and he says, I will oppose you. I will accuse you. I will defend Joshua because he's mine. Now at that point, Joshua, Jerusalem, Israel, all of them were in captivity in, um, uh, now in Babylon. And, and um, obviously they were there because they did a lot of things wrong. And it's as if God is saying to Satan, I don't care what they did wrong. I will still oppose you and I will redeem them. And he asks this question, is not this man a burning stick snatched out of the fire? There's something about God's ability to save us. And, and when I read this, I asked myself the question, how often do I consider just my salvation? The fact that God saved me. The fact that God brought me out of misery and out of hopelessness and out of this place where I needed to save myself. God says to Satan, is not this man um, a burning stick snatched from the fire? I redeemed Joshua. And because I redeemed Joshua, I think this story becomes evident that God is still in the redeeming game, the salvation game. That some of us have the sense that we're a stick in the midst of the fire. But there's the realization because of what Jesus did that he actually plucked us out. Two times God says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, the Lord oppose you, because God doesn't stand for anything that works in the space of accusation. Listen to what Romans 8, 33 and 34 says. It says, who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them, not guilty. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one. For he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? It's, it's my desire that in the midst of your struggle, maybe in the midst of your accusation, that you would discover that there's a God fighting for you, a God that is close by, that every time you think that you're alone, that God is not there, that you would realize that Christ died for you. But that was not just a once-off event. He's constantly interceding for you in the presence of the Father, trusting for great things to happen in your life. And if you're at that place where it seems desolate, where it seems alone, where accusation is forming the, the substance of your experience, it's my prayer that you would understand that God is fighting for you. The second thing um, connects to find, us finding freedom. This, this is really interesting. In, in Zechariah 3, verse 3 to 5, it says, Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were watching before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Then I, this is Zechariah, said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. You know what? I, I sort of wonder, we don't like to watch people change. Um, no one walks into a, a Target or a Myers or wherever you go to buy your shopping no one walks in there just to put some shirts and stuff on. Sometimes I'm too lazy to go to the dressing room, so I just quickly flip on a shirt, see if it fits. Melise hates that. But, but we don't normally do that because we want to get changed in, in private. But in church, it doesn't always work that way. 
In church, we actually get the opportunity. We, we get to watch people change. And it's, it's, not, it's not always clean. Sometimes it's a bit messy. Because sometimes part of the changing process is the fact that they've got to get rid of all the filthy garments that, that they've become so used to. But again, the beauty of this is, is the fact that, that, that God took the initiative to take the filthy garments off of Joshua. God cleansed him. God made him near. But then something really, really interesting happens. He says, then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine, fine garments on you. And then he said, then I said, put a clean turban on his head. There's something about the faith community, the church, the community of people that we're in. AJ spoke about the need to be in a group where I believe that we find freedom, not in isolation. We find freedom in great relationships as we meet together. And suddenly in this moment, Zechariah, who saw the accusation, Zechariah, who saw the filthy clothes of Joshua, had the option to either work with the enemy or to work with the angel. And he actually looked there and he stood there and he said, I will not join in with the accusation. And Zechariah said, put a clean turban on his head. Put new clothes on him. There's something in our faith communities that I believe we need to get better at actually facilitating and working with the change that God is bringing in people's lives. Not to look at what we think they ought to be, but to actually see them where they are and to contribute and to help and to assist in the change um, of where they are. We don't have to get rid of the filth. God did that on the cross. But we have to clothe them with what's new and fresh. See, um, you either choose accusation or transformation. And as a faith community in this year, I'm trusting that we would see a lot more transformation and not more accusation in the way that we deal with. And I'm convinced that transformation is not a once-off event. Something that happened 20 years ago because we gave our lives to Christ. That transformation is a continual thing. That happens every season of life. Paul speaks about it where he says, be constantly renewed. And, and, and I want to ask you to invite God's Spirit into that little moment. Where transformation is not just the event 20 years or 30 years or 5 years or 2 years ago. But this inner change that sort of adapts to the world that we're living in with the grace that God has given us is a continual event. See, when we have children... Um, and they start walking. We call it walking, but actually it's controlled falling. I don't know if, if you've seen that. No one looks at that child saying after he tried to walk and he fell. No one says to him, hey, get up and start all over. Do it right. We actually celebrate those little steps, those little moments. We actually realize that for a baby to grow in his or her capacity to go from lying, sitting, standing, walking, that they've got to try. And they've got to fail. It's in the failing that they actually learn the ability to succeed. And may we be that as church, where we don't expect people to come in perfect. And you know where that starts? If we don't expect ourselves to be perfect. See, what we do when we go into the, into the shopping malls and we get dressed, we want to come out perfect. We don't come out with the buttons loose and some of We actually want to come out perfect. But you, got, you don't get that option in life. Where so many times we've actually got to come out with our brokenness and with the fact that, hey, we're not there yet. 
but we're celebrating the steps. And if we create an environment where we believe that the steps are good and we welcome that, I believe more people will experience the freedom and transformation um, that God does. See, because you've got to ask yourself the question, what happens when people fall? Um, a couple of weeks ago, Melise fell at Chermside. It wasn't, wasn't one of those little trip and falls. It was one of those trip and splat. Um, that if that was a comic, it was gone. Um, and immediately when she fell, all four of us around her tried to get her up. It wasn't easy. She hurt her knee so bad that she couldn't walk for days. Uh, but there's something in that where if someone falls, the immediate reaction is we want to try and help. And, and that's what happens in our community, in our connection together. Proverbs 24 verse 16 speaks about even just in the journey of life, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get back up again. Still time in the game, guys. <laughs> Third one is just to discover purpose, and these two I'm just going to mention quickly. Um, where it, when it comes to discovering purpose, I think we've got to evaluate the real value of something and not just a little dense. Um, we parked at a coffee shop the other day and someone drove into our car and uh, it was a bit of a bumper bash. They drove away, we didn't see them, they just left the mark. Immediately when we stood there, I think both memories looked at the car and suddenly the value of the car was reduced to the dent. It frustrated us. But it's still a car that we get in, <laughs> we still have the ability to drive um, the way we want. And I thought about how often we do that in our own lives, where we evaluate ourselves on the value of the dent, not on who we actually are. See, um, God comes to Zechariah with all the dents, the filth, and all the things that was taken away. And he comes in verse 6 to verse 7. He says, the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua, gave him a responsibility, gave him an instruction. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place amongst these standing here. If you allow me, and if you say yes to the call, the charge, whatever God has given you, and, and I love the fact that in our church, we don't just say it's in church, but it's in business, in government, in education, in sport, in arts, in media, in the social well-being of our community. If you will say yes to the charge that God has given you in that space, to be God's presence in that world, God will give you a place of standing. That it's His purpose that actually defines your value. It's when you align your gifts, your talents, your abilities to what God has called you to in the world that we're living in, not reducing it to a church-only experience, but saying that we're entering this world, that God will give you a place of standing, and that place of standing helps us to make a difference, and, and, and this is incredible. Listen to what um, and how this chapter ends. In verse 8 to 10, um, God comes to Joshua. He says, listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. <laughs> may, may we as a faith community be symbolic of things to come. May we not represent what was, but may our lives actually represent the newness, the freshness, just the godliness that God has called us to. May people, when they look at us, look at us see, see something of a symbol of the transformation and the redemption, the salvation, the deliverance that God has given us. He says, you who are men, symbolic of things to come. He says, I'm going to bring my servant, the branch, talking about Christ. 
See the stone that I've set in front of Joshua? These are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it. On it. Sort of referring to the fact that, that, that what God is doing in the midst of this won't be just a one-size-fits-all. He's giving seven different eyes, seven different ways of seeing. It actually adds the multidimensional ways of, uh, of how God wants us to engage our community. And he's going to give an inscription, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. What struck me about this is that everything starts with the personal journey of an individual, but it ends with a blessing on a community. That what God does in Joshua spills over to the community. And how do we know that something happened there? He says, in that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord. That, that if we allow God to sort of shape us where we discover Him, where we know Him, where we allow a sense of freedom to take shape in our lives, where we say yes to the purpose that God has called us to, I'm convinced that we will learn the ability to live beyond ourselves and that people, our community, our neighbors, everywhere we live will benefit from who we are. In that day... <laughs> I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Imagine we are known as a community that sort of breaks the power of sin and brokenness in the community that we're living in. Imagine we bring the presence of God to this place where it brings peace and love and faith and hope to where we're living at. One of the things, and our friends at Zilmir are joining us this morning, is, is something we're trusting God for. The fact that God's given us the opportunity to bring His presence to a community and to work with what God has already done. And, and we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we're trusting Him that that place will be a place where the power of sin will be broken and neighbors could connect to one another again. So I want to conclude. Worship team can come up. I think there's... Just this question, where are you at the moment? If you look at these four things, are you buckling under the power of accusation, internal or external? Are you at a place where you feel that, 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 that there's something or someone accusing you and it's breaking, it's breaking you down? Let's say there's a place where you need to discover that God will fight for you. Realizing that freedom is something that God is offering to all of us and, and maybe you feel that you're alone. And, 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 and that you've got to try and do this all on your own. We're not a perfect community, but I want to ask you to go deeper in our connection. And we're trusting and praying and inviting God into the space where we believe that, that in this, that we'll see a sense of freedom take shape in the lives of everyone around us. Maybe you've become so comfortable in life that you don't, haven't even asked the purpose, the call question for many, many many years and maybe this morning God is challenging you just in your comfort just asking the question hey are you saying yes not just to who I am but to what I'm asking you to do maybe that's your journey and thinking about just how you could make a difference in the world that you're living so this morning I want to ask you to take your communion worship team is just going to minister to us in song and while you take your communion cups, I want to ask you just to reflect on how the cross empowered you to know God, to find freedom, to discover purpose, 
and to make a difference. And, and just thinking on that, just asking yourself, where are you in the midst of this conversation? Thanks. Thank you for joining us today. If you were encouraged by the message and would like to hear more sermons like this, make sure you hit subscribe. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. To experience other messages, videos, and live services, head to oranahills.church and navigate to the resources tab. Thanks for listening.